Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to the Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Do you have a mate that doesn't seem great? Maybe their team is up, but they're still down. A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Dare Iced Coffee, a proud partner of Are You Okay? Welcome to the conversations that could. I'm Dermot Brereton. This is a show where we talk to people from across the sporting landscape and discuss issues surrounding mental health. The struggles, the successes and ways in which we can all support each other through the challenges that life presents. And just a heads up, listeners... We're possibly heading into some challenging emotional territory with our guest tonight. So if tonight's discussion brings up tough feelings or experiences and you need some extra support and help, we urge you to reach out to somebody you trust or contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Our guest tonight is a remarkable young woman. She's a two-time Paralympian who was hailed as one of Australia's most promising athletes in para-athletics. She's a survivor of childhood abuse. She's a fighter and a proud Dungutty woman, and she's an inspiration to many. It's my pleasure to welcome Tarita Blake to the conversations that could for Are You OK? Hi, Tarita. How are you going? Oh, not too bad. Yourself? Oh, yeah, all right for an old bloke. We're just hanging in there. I would imagine, I'd imagine you've been to training already today. Is that correct? Yes, I have. I had had a nice, easy gym session today. It wasn't too hard. Yeah, right. And I I heard just a little bit before we went on air, you've also gone for an MRI. Everything okay there? Yeah, well, I hope so. I've had a bit of a um, problem with my back. Um, last couple of years um, and we've just had a couple of things pop up so I actually pulled out of trying to qualify for Tokyo because of it and um, we thought we had it fixed um, but it's still it's still sore basically so today we thought oh well we'll go all over again and work out what it is. So, so you, you've been at the two previous Olympics, you missed Tokyo with the injury um, that must have been a little bit of a kick in the pants. Well, there's a massive story of why I missed Tokyo Paralympics, and that's because back in 2019, I had a stress fracture in my L5. Um, it actually pulled me out of world champs that year. Um, yeah. Then obviously COVID hit, um, but I started running back in March, beginning of March um, in 2020, so we still wouldn't have made Tokyo 2020 um and then just with this back again uh, we just it kept it was sore and stuff like that so in the end we've pulled out 
Oh, we did pull out and, um, yeah, it's just the last couple, the last two weeks it's come back. So we're starting from scratch and work out what it's from, coming well, it's just, from. It's, it's just put you behind the eight ball a little bit too too much to uh, give you a chance at um, uh, Tokyo. What's your, what's your training regime looking like at the moment? What are you into at the moment? What, what sort of loading uh, stage are you at? Oh, just general um, fitness at the moment. Um, we're going to try, so basically we're in general fitness, then we'll work at um, strength at the same time um, and then we'll get into speed, um, endurance, preparing us to race next year. And so, that's in preparation for the World Championships? Yeah, World Championships and then um, we have a race uh, in um, Commonwealth Games for our classification. Yeah, yeah. So we'll try what's, what's, what's an average week look for look like for you in terms of time on the track, time on the gym, time in rehab, time in preparation? What, what's the average week entail for you? Okay, well, I do an average of uh, I think two gym sessions, three or three to four track sessions of running at least. Um, and then recovery, well, that's every day. Um, that can come from, you know, just at home doing things, um, ice baths. Um, I do um, these occlusion cuffs, um, which shuts down half your blood supply, and it, it's just really good um, recovery, I find, lately using them. Um, and then I do some rehab work, um, with my cerebral palsy, so we're trying to always get that strong and um, yep. obviously trying to keep injury-free all the time. Athletes were always going. I've played with some great mates and in Australian rules football, some wonderful, wonderful Indigenous mates, and they were no good in cold weather and trying to get them into an ice bath, and with your Indigenous blood, are you against the ice baths as well? I avoid them whenever I can. But I, I will suck it up on that odd occasion and jump in. I, I, mate, I only go into my feet down if I have to. I don't even go into my, like, hips down or anything like that unless I have to take a hot bath any day. Hey, you, you touched on it then. You mentioned uh, um, cerebral palsy. How does cerebral palsy, how does that play out for an elite athlete? For someone like me, I've got a mild cerebral palsy. Um, the cerebral palsy that I've got is called hemiplegia, which is one side of your body. Um, for me, it more affects my ankle, so my foot. And for me, basically, it's just weakness. So I've got it on my right side, so my left side will react really quick, pick my foot off the ground and react. But then my right side is just a bit... The reactive response is slow. So I've got a weak calf on my right side compared to my left. Like, let's just say, for an example, we're doing a calf raise. You do 10 reps of three. Well, I'll do 10 reps of four on my right side just to try and get it stronger. Because um, with cerebral palsy too, you've got to, um, it's like training your brain to do the movement. So, yeah, the same thing with like your running technique. You know, you're always focusing on running techniques. So, you know, at the moment, my, like my foot ankle turns out instead of staying straight. So, like, we do a lot of rehab work to try and correct that as much as we can. Fill me in, and I'm only learning this now in some of the terminology, some of the categories. Are you competing the T38, the T38 athlete uh, space? Uh, explain to the, the listener what that means and what it, what that does. 
Okay. The T38 means mild cerebral palsy or um, other... How do I... They've changed it a bit. So, like, for an example, um, you've also got um, MS um, in that category as well. So it's anything close. But, yeah, so... The T38 is mild cerebral palsy um, where you've got, so for an example, a T35 is severe ambulant athlete and you'll see a lot of them are affected lower legs down and then you'll see like I think a 36, I'm not 100% sure, but from memory I think a 36, which is the next class, is all four limbs. Your arms are more affected than your legs. And then you've got a 37, which is hemiplegia. So that's affected one side of your body. And then the 38 is the mild side of it. So some of them you will look and you go, oh, what's wrong with her? You know, why? Like, doesn't make sense. But that athlete might not even have cerebral palsy. It could be another disability or like I know people in there have tumours removed and that sort of stuff. And it's affected their yeah. balance, their movement. Because um, that's like basically that from what I am, if, if I'm right, it's coordination problems and balance. Yep. So that's what that class is all about. All of the cerebral palsy classes, all the 35s to 38, yeah. I've studied up on your story and we'll get into it in detail and prepare the people who are listening for, for some of the um, issues which are traumatic and unbelievable. But your story is... I'm completely and utterly inspired. I was emotional when I was reading about you. I was I was inspired and I was just wondering to myself, when you stand up on the blocks and you know that there's people, as you said, they might have had aspects, you know, you know they might have had you know, various elements of their brain cut out due to injury or you know, um, certain things that have happened in there. Do you get inspired by the other athletes? Oh, always. I think with um, Paralympians, like we've all got different stories. Um, yeah. And, you know, whether you were born with it or whether you, it's come by accident or, you know, um, yeah, I think, as I say, everyone's got a story to tell. And, um, you know, even me, sometimes you hear someone had a car accident Um and as I say, like, um, you know, I lost a leg or something and you go, oh, my God, like you were, let's just say, um, had your leg there for 38 years of your life and now it's disappeared. And it's the way they, um, I think the thing that I find a lot of the time is how positive we all are, yeah. you know, there's no negatives around it. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like that's how I always look at it. Yeah, and, and for just so our listeners understand, like uh, we've mentioned that uh, you, you have an aspect of uh, a mild cerebral palsy. You also suffer from a, a mild case of epilepsy and vision impairment. Uh, can you explain to us just how far that goes into your makeup and your daily commitment to life, what that I impacts on you? Okay, well, I think for me... Because it happened to me and within my first five weeks of me being born, I know no difference. So in terms of like my epilepsy, my cerebral palsy, that doesn't affect my everyday life now that my epilepsy is under control. But my blindness, I can't drive just the certain things that obviously people that are fully blind to vision impairment can't do. Sometimes that's the only thing like I sit there overnight and I go, oh. Gee, I like. Let's just say I wanted an ice cream. You know, you'd be able to go in your car and go down and get one, and I can't. 
sometimes it just sort of goes, I wish I could do that. I've lived with it my whole life. I've known no difference until I was like 18, 19. With your vision impairment, I mean, when you, when you stand in the starter's box and you're looking to down the track and you, you've got the lines either side of you and you hit the corner and you've got 100 or 80 <laughs> metres left of the straight, can you see the finish line? No, I just know the, the track, but I can only see within six metres in front of me. So my vision, I've lost eyesight in my right eye and the right-hand side of the left eye. Yeah. So I've only got that corner left, so I just follow the track, the line around the track. But the one thing we're trying to learn in training at the moment is when I'm approaching 200 to go, because my event's 400, you can't see it, but I tend to slow down in a way to try and pick it up. And then even coming to the line, I force myself to the line instead of the line come to you. Yeah, it's, it's a very hard thing to break. Sometimes I do it, sometimes I don't. But that's the thing, it, like coming with someone with a vision impairment in the sport. You know, you learn all of these things. With the fact that you said no sight in the right eye, uh, the right-hand side of your left eye's vision is mm -hmm. quite severely impaired. You've got a little bit of left of the left eye. So, uh, uh, yeah, running anti-clockwise around a track, that, that at least gets you a little bit of a vision of the inside line so you can hug that. that yeah. That's a saving grace yeah. in some small way. Yeah, that's the bonus. That's what helps me, where if we went the other way around, I'd just be hopeless. Yeah, um, it might take a wide berth just to make sure he didn't cut the corner. Yeah. Oh, that's extraordinary. <laughs> As I said, I'm, I'm inspired reading your story. I have been inspired, and when I've been reading it, uh, as I said, I, I'm, I'm literally in tears reading some parts of it and I'm literally joyous and overcome with joy reading other areas of it. And, and it truly is an inspirational story, as I said, which we'll get into short, uh, shortly. But who was the inspiration in your life? Was there somebody you looked at and thought, I want to be that person one day? Well, it's funny you ask that. When I got into, like you had 2000 Olympics on, I actually was watching swimming back then. Like my family's into swimming, but I did a a um, assignment in year four on sports people, and I picked um, Cassie Freeman, and yeah. I just loved watching her run. And then when I got into running, I wanted to be like her. Um, you know, I watch her races all the time to this day, and I'm just like, oh. Our race plan's exactly the same as hers, but yeah. just watching her do it, like, it's just incredible. Like, she was so smooth. Yeah, and you would have seen the um, the Sydney Olympics, the uh, the straight in the 400, and uh, I think it was Raylene Boyle yelled, what a relief. That, that's one of the most amazing and iconic images of any Australian athlete ever. I think all of them are great. Like, I look at Kathy Freeman's races and she was really good up the back straight, just so relaxed. And then her coming home was just incredible. Um, and, like, even the pressure that she had to hold on to, like, leading into 2000 games, like, the amount of pressure from people on her to be able to go out there and run the race of her life is just crazy. Because sometimes as athletes, like, you know, the pressure we put on ourselves and the pressure the media puts on us and, you know, family and all that sort of stuff to be able to do... What she did was just great. Yeah, and I've had the privilege of meeting Kathy several times and just a, a, a beautiful, beautiful human being, a really lovely person. Yeah, oh, I would love to meet her. Oh, my. Shame she's not around that much. I'm Dermot Brereton, and this is The Conversations That Could, brought to you by Dare Iced Coffee. When your mate's bottled up, 
A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? More with Tarita in a moment. And just a note to listeners, we are going to be discussing physical and sexual abuse. So if this discussion may be triggering for you, we urge you to practice self-care when listening. Welcome back to the Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Within the first five weeks of me being born, I was um, physically abused. I had to get flown from Roma to Brisbane Hospital. In the uh, plane, I actually died. Um, so they had to obviously bring me back to life. They said to my parents that be prepared in the next 24 hours, she might not survive. Tarita suffered severe brain trauma, but she survived. In the end, my stepfather ended up going to prison for it. When he was released from jail, the abuse continued. I was sexually abused by my stepfather um, since I was seven, right up until I think I was 15. Welcome back to The Conversations That Could. I'm Dermot Burton, and my guest tonight is athlete Tarita Blake. We just heard some of your story, Tarita, when you appeared on The Project on Channel 10. Your story is traumatic. Um, let's be honest, it's difficult to hear, uh, and that would be one millionth of how difficult it would have been for you to be living in. Um, as I said, I find this your story so inspirational. It's it is incredible to speak to you and see meet somebody who's gone through this. How old were you when you learned about the details of the physical trauma you you had sustained as a as a young baby? Uh, well, my whole life, I grew up thinking I was born like it until I was around about 18, 19 years old. Um, and then my actual stepfather sat down and said that I lost oxygen death, that someone had done it to me. He blamed my mother's family. And then uh, a couple of years later, there was a conversation he had with me and he said, I'm sorry for sexually abusing you, but I didn't bash you as a baby. And then I'm like, in the back of my mind, I was like, why would you mention the domestic violence as an infant? But we sort of had an argument. I told him I wanted nothing to do with him. And then that's how that conversation come up. And um, I think that when reality hit me and then I actually seen the results of him going to jail. So he's meant to spend seven years in jail. Um, but he was out in two and a half years. That's when it hit me going, well, you know what? Like, because he said to me, someone had to go to jail for it. Like back then I was like 18, 19. So, and we didn't talk to my mum's parents. So it was easier for me to just go, yeah, okay. And leave it like that. It's been a hard journey to, I think, it's easy for me to say that I was physically abused as a newborn baby because like, I don't remember it, like nothing. And it doesn't affect my life that much. You know, as I say, I'm just vision impaired and I can't drive and there's things that I can't do. Now that I'm older, my sister's had a baby last year and that's when it hit me the most, going, how can you do this to a little kid, little baby like that, you know? Um, and that's when it sort of hit me the most. And reaction of people as well, 
when you say things. Like, I used to go, like, it's okay, mate, you know, I'm fine. But now I sort of, because of my sister having the baby, I go, oh, crap, it's actually really sad. How can someone do that? I've only been speaking to you for, for, for 20 minutes, but I can, I can hear the slight change in your voice. Are you, are you okay talking yeah. about this now? Yeah, yeah. I, as I say, like, it, it hits us now, um, now that I'm older. But I want people to know what happened to me and try and find positives. You'd been sold a story, it sounds like, throughout your childhood that that perhaps you were, were born with some physical impairments and then you learnt as a, well, a young woman that that just wasn't the truth. Like, for me, I don't know, I'm a nice person, I guess, but, like, I don't hate on people for it, you know. I don't... People always say, oh, how can you talk to your mum and stuff like that? Well, I don't blame her. The situation we... Well, yeah, well, we were all in, I can't blame her. You know, I always say it is what it is. Now, I try, as I say, the only thing is I sit there now and go, how can someone do that as a kid? I sometimes sit there and go, well, what did I do wrong? From what I was told from a neurologist a couple of years ago, it's like someone has slammed my head up against a cot or something. And when I hear that, I go, well, what did I do wrong? Was I screaming? You know, was I too much? And like, because it was my stepfather, I always go, was it because I wasn't his kid? As parents, you're meant to grow close to your newborn babies or, you know, your kids. And sometimes I sit back and I go, well, there was no connection, you know, but in the end, he's just a sick man, really. And and you've now seen through your sister having children the absolute purity of the innocence of a child... Um, it, it's there's no you, you can't blame yourself you know looking back at the child you were and that's exactly right it wasn't until the day I went to the hospital to meet my nephew that's when I realized like he was born a couple of weeks early and he was in oh, one of those bed things that were closed and you weren't allowed to touch him only his chest yeah. And my sister said, oh, you can touch him. So when I did that, like, the chills I got down, I, like, I felt so sick. Like, I fell apart when I got home. And then that's just when I was like, how can someone do that? And then act like it didn't happen. Like, to, for him to sit there and blame someone else and lie to me and say yeah. that it was from oxygen, lack of oxygen, when the truth was someone actually physically abused me. What, what is that telling you? Won't take any apportion, any blame onto themselves. Um, yeah, I'm getting emotional listening to it, listening to you. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to hear. Is that the moment when the roadmap was revealed to you about the actions you took from that point in time? No. It was a couple of years later that I had come out that I was also sexually abused. Um, it was sort of when he told me that it hit home for me. But then again, he said it was his, it was my mother's family. So I was like, oh yeah, whatever. But the whole story of me coming out, um, he was still doing things around me up until the day I moved out. I moved out when I was 19. And then I confronted him two months later and said to him, I wanted nothing to do with him. Then he played played the victim role and like guilt trip, um, making me feel bad. So then I um, obviously... Stayed, I don't know if the word stayed with him, but, you know, kept in contact and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I think it was like two months later, I got sick of it and I went down to see him and I just felt sick. And then, I don't know, I just told my coach one day 
Um, and they've got that saying, what's that? Bricks off your shoulders? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. The, the weight no, of my yeah. shoulders, like, oh, that day, I have never, ever felt like that in my life. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. The, the truth is I don't know why I came out. Like, I think it just happened. Um, like, I see a counsellor now and she said sometimes, like, it gets too much for you. I couldn't hold it in anymore. Yeah. Dorita, can I ask you, um, you're doing this show. One of the, the the aspects of life that I've learnt through this time is it's, it's important to, as you say, um, release information to get that weight off your shoulders uh, and you said you held on to it and you didn't release it what was it like when you actually did decide I'm going to let this go I'm going to tell somebody I'm going to confide in somebody and how difficult was it clearly it was difficult for a, a period of time to want to release that information and just tell someone well I had told my coach I think like it just it just come out like there, there was no planning that or anything like that I think we had a conversation probably about him like we we're having a conversation about him and then I don't know he said something and then I snapped and I told him but I didn't tell my mother until six months later um, because we don't live um, close by, I, you can't. It's not a conversation you can have over the phone and go, "Hey, mum, you know, no. dad did this." So you know, and you have to find the right time. And then I remember we were, I was because she lived on the Gold Coast at the time. I went down there, and oh, he must have had a conversation with her and said, "Oh, Tarita, he, he told her that I'm ungrateful for something. I, I don't know." And then I just turned around to mum, and I think that's just when I snapped and told her the truth. Like, and in the end, how can you hide behind? not wanting to see a person you know you can't yeah. keep making up excuses i don't know it's just it's actually quite hard to like to answer why did you come out i didn't want to hide it from my mum anymore i'm like yeah. I, I just couldn't do that when you went to report the the situation to the legal um uh, officers the police Having lived it, how difficult was it and, and how guarded were you as a young woman just in her late teens talking about this? Was it, was it difficult to speak to the law? Oh, 100%. Like, it's hard to explain. It's something, like, I didn't want to do it. I had no plans on doing that. It wasn't until I actually found out he had a girlfriend with, um, with I think, six kids, I was told. Yeah. And all under like the age of, um, I think, 13. And I thought, how can I do that to, you know, how can I do that to those kids? That's what like tipped me to go and tell the police what happened. So I gave the statement at the end of the year in 2015. Then I heard nothing until like the middle of 2016. And the hard part is you're basically called a liar until he's found guilty. You know, you don't get phone calls, are you okay? You know, he's adjourned it today, he's got no lawyer. You know, there's no kind of update. Obviously, there's laws, you know, there's things you can't say to the victim and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. But then yep. I remember I gave a statement in 2015. Then just before World Champs in 2017, they rang me and said, we need another statement from you. You know, no warning, like, no, like, it was just like, you need to do it. Yeah. You know, we get nothing. And then it was like, I think it was 2019 um, was the trial. And then the sad part for me is at the trial, I had to do it twice because you can't mention anyone's name. You have to be like, your grammar has to be on point. 
So a lot of yep. the time I would say, I'm talking about myself, but I'll say, oh, us. They turned around and I said us to us. And then it was like um, we're on a break just before lunch on the Monday. And they said, oh, we, we've called it a mistrial. And we're like, oh, why? And they said, oh, because you used us in a sentence. The sad thing in Mike, or well, I think it would happen to a lot of people, but he just tried to paint himself out to be this great father. Like he had no leg to stand on. Like it was just, you know, and I sit there and I go, it's so black and white that you did it. Like just admit it. Can I ask you, I mean, we spoke to um, a former champion AFL footballer, Wayne Schwoss, and he talked about his mental health problems and the likes, and he became a touch point, a real beacon for um, footballers who then contacted him. You are an outstanding young human being in this space who's been so brave. Have you had many people contact you and, and ask for direction in, in this type of space? Since the project and since I was in, oh, I didn't even know, but before the games, I think it was for Indigenous sports or NAIDOC week, I can't really remember, but a newspaper rang me and I was trying to tell my story and end up being all over the place and I just went, oh, stop it. I didn't realise it was going to go Australia-wide, yeah. let alone on the front page of the Sunday Mail. I was <laughs> just like, yeah. Yeah. holy crap. And then from there, from 6.30 in the morning, I was getting inboxes on Instagram, Facebook, and people just saying it happened to me. Um, it actually brings back the trauma for you. I think sometimes I forget how much of an impact me telling my story is because I lived it. Yeah. You are an absolute inspiration to people and, and, and you, that should be, um, forget how you, you, you might think that oh, so many people are seeing this and people are, are drawn to you because of the strength you've shown, because the inspiration you've given them, it's a feather in your cap. And as I said earlier, it, when I was looking at your story, I was, I was saddened, I was emotional and I was so proud to think that how glorious is this young woman to fight her way through this? And and then the, the on the other side of this, the release for you was something that found you international fame. To get away from this, this, and you inspired yourself was to find running, and 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 that's taken you on an international course. Oh yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes that's when I look back and I go. For something like running just to be my outlet, you know, get off of the morning, go for a run. That's just what I did. We're going to touch on that. We're going to talk more about your um, amazing feats out on the running track after the break. I'm Dermot Burton, and our guest tonight is Tarita Blake. And this is the Conversations That Could, brought to you by Dare Iced Coffee. When you make the bottle it up, a dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask them, are you okay? If this conversation has raised some issues for you tonight, you can call the Blue Knot Foundation for support for people affected by complex trauma and childhood trauma. They are available on 1300 657 380. Welcome back to the Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. 
ask are you okay I've got to stop and tell myself sometimes that she's vision impaired. I grew up knowing no different, you know, so I've never let it sort of get in my way. The tenacity and the, the resilience she's got to fight on. They do go on the beat of bang. She's a true survivor. Just how close they are was evident at the World Championships 2017. Away they go. In the 400. With 150 to go, she had an absent-minded seizure, so she just tunes out. She's really turned it on. When she came out of it, she's turning it on in London here. She'd actually torn a hamstring. London 2012. She fought with a Japanese girl all the way down the straight with a torn hamstring to try and win a medal. Um, and it wasn't for her; it was for me. So. Um, yeah, that makes me quite emotional. What a fantastic man. Welcome back to the conversations that could for Are You OK? I'm Dermot Brereton, and my guest tonight is Paralympian Tarita Blake. We just heard Tarita's coach Wayne Lever there, courtesy of the project on Channel 10. We can hear just how emotional Wayne gets when recalling your determination, Tarita, to win a medal at the World Championships in 2017. We've already determined that you are an exceptional human being. He sounds like a pretty special fella. Oh, yes, he is. I always say to people, he's like the father I never had growing yeah. up. He's just he's just incredible. Like, like I don't even know how to describe him as a person. But, yeah, even for me to hear that just makes me get emotional myself. A lot of the time he wakes up in the morning and he'll say, are you okay? You know, how'd you sleep last night and all that sort of stuff. And I'll ask him. But, you know, I think, yeah, it's he's always about me. You know, am I okay? And sometimes, like, I forget. I'm like, oh, I've just told you this, that I've had a bad night. And, you know, like, I just wonder, like, how much does it affect him just hearing it? Yeah. But I think that medal back in 2017, like for me, it was to like thank him because he had to go through, um, he was a witness to the um, court case and that sort of stuff. And he knows probably more detail than anyone else, or he does, of what happened. And he's had to put up with it. So it's always been my way of trying to thank him for everything that he does. Yeah, well, clearly that bond is exceptional. You must be you. You must be one of the most tough people we've ever produced. I, I, I've I've strained a hamstring. I haven't torn one, and it felt like somebody put a fish hook in the back of my hamstring and started turning it. You tore a hamstring and kept going. Oh, I had to. I, I had something I had to do. See, it was really weird because I think I was still at that stage coming out of my um, seizure. Yeah. Um, at that stage so I think in between that and I was, if anything I was just trying to stay upright but yeah I was in a lot of pain um, but I just kept telling myself Wayne didn't come all the way over here for nothing because yeah. <laughs> he was in London too so I was like no and you never want to fail on the world stage either you know like collapse on the ground and do it but yeah I knew in a way because I know what seizures I have which are absent-minded ones I get like a warning sign like I can pick it up and go oh yeah I remember I was coming off the bend going, oh, why are you so sick, like you idiot? And then I was like in the middle of the, of the bend and I, my eyes just went black. 
and then I'm like, oh shit. And I like nearly, call, I think like I rolled my ankle tight thing, must have pulled it and that's where my hamstring went. But yeah, it was very uncomfortable. Can I ask you, where did it start? I mean, we, we've touched on it and I, I think I know where the answer comes from. What made you get out of the house, go for a run and somehow, somehow, two years later, you're representing Australia. What inspired you to get out there and run and what made you believe, hey, I'm pretty good at this, I could be world class? It's kind of funny. Like, I actually was told to join a club and um, go to nationals back in 2011. And we're like, oh, yeah. Now, at this stage, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, Next minute, this guy named Tim Matthews, he's a part of um, Paralympics Australia um, Talent Search, and he said to me, he he said to me, what do you like at 100? And I actually said, oh, I'm crap. And um, next minute, he's like, oh, do you want to run one? And my parents are like, like yes say yes so I said yes and he turned around after I finished and he goes do you realize you're running qualifying times for London Paralympics and I'm like no (laughs) Um, and then I went to London and I made both the finals and the 100 and 200 and come forth in the relay and after that I just I wanted um, Rio more than anything and um, yeah and then like I think leading into Rio, my motivation was I was told because I had come out about my um, sexual abuse that oh, you you won't be able to make it, you know, um, and I wasn't going to medal in 2015 at World Champs, you know, so all of that negative people. So I just wanted to prove them that, yeah, I can and I will. And, um, and that's exactly what I did. That, can I just, before we go to the break, can I just ask you that? You've just run 100 metres for, for, for um, Tim, uh, as you said. You, did you think you ran it fast? And he has turned around on the spot and told you, oh, that actually qualifies you. Do that again under the real circumstances and that qualifies you to get to London. D- did you believe that you were travelling that quick? No, I didn't. At that stage, I didn't really like, I knew of the Paralympics and I knew it was um, wheelchair athletics, but I never actually knew vision impaired and cerebral palsy people um, run at the games. And I remember when I got over there, I had no idea. I was up the night before trying to work out, will I even make the finals um, and kind of who would medal? Like it was, it was, I look back and I laugh at it now. And I remember they asked me, oh, do you want to give an interview after I made the 100 finals? And I said, no. And then next minute they've come over and they said, oh, here comes it. My, my last name back then was Isaac. They said, oh, here comes Tarita Isaac. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I like the fact I was 17 at the time. I think that was the best thing. Um, yeah, it was just incredible. And as I say, um, I think he was saying that. It was kind of like, oh, yeah, okay. Uh-huh. You know, like, I, I don't know, it was just weird. I was a 16, 17-year-old kid. Yeah. Yeah. Your toughness is incredible. Uh, the very next year, 2012, you raced in Melbourne and uh, it didn't go the way you wanted it to, but then you found... Get let, Tell me if I'm right here. 11 bone fractures in your leg and you raced in the 100-metre final with those unknowingly. They had... Um, track classics around Australia for the um, athletics back then and um, I think I was at one of them but I remember I ran the 100 and I fell to the ground afterwards 
And um, they said, oh, what's wrong? I said, oh, my legs. And I think they all kind of went, oh, you're gonna, we're going to go and check them out. And I remember saying to mum, don't you worry, I'm running the 200 tomorrow, which I didn't end up doing. But then we got back to Brisbane and we went for an MRI and all that sort of stuff. And they come back and they said, oh, you've got stress fractures and shin splints. And I was like, oh, okay. And at that stage, I thought London Paralympics was gone. I, you know, I didn't know that until... I think it was like July, August, just before the Games, um, that I had made the team. As I say, I didn't understand the Games back then. I, I, it was more of an excitement thing, like, oh, my God, I'm going to London. Oh, my God, I'm going overseas. Like, yeah, it was just incredible. Oh, fantastic. We used to have a saying in um, Aussie rules that if somebody uh, did what you did, you know, ran the race, fell to the ground and said, oh, my legs are really sore, we used to call that loser's limp. And 99 (laughs) times out of 100, the person was banging it on. But I reckon having 11 stress fractures in there is a pretty good excuse to read (laughs) it. Oh, God. I'm Dermot Brereton, and our guest tonight is Teresa Blake, and this is The Conversations That Could, brought to you by Dare Iced Coffee. When you make the bottle it up, a dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask them, are you OK? If this conversation has raised some issues for you tonight, you can call the Blue Knot Foundation for support for people affected by complex trauma and childhood trauma. They are available on 1300 657 380. Welcome back to the Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Welcome back to the Conversations That Could for Are You OK? I'm Dermot Brereton, and our guest tonight is two-time Paralympian, Torita Blake. Torita, uh, you found that when you were a kid, you probably didn't move the same as other kids. They can be very cruel, can't they? Oh, yes. Yes, very cruel. And how did you deal with that? What was your, what was your fallback position? What was your default position? Oh, I think I just dealt with the people, you know, people are going to bully people and all that sort of stuff but as I say like I used to be told oh you run funny whatever else and you're not blind and when it comes to run funny I couldn't comprehend it I was like oh whatever I don't know I just learned to deal with it you know you know kids are always going to say what they want to say and um, again running helped me you know here I was going to nationals what was that kid doing sitting at school yeah <laughs> you know I've got the day off school because I'm representing our school or whatever so running was your sanctuary yeah yeah so something I loved days, and it's now something heals me these days you're, you're involved with a couple of uh initiatives I've got in front of me raise the bar academy um that's run by athletics Australia and Melbourne University we try to get indigenous kids together that want to go to university and um athletics and show them what it's like to do elite training while wanting to study and what causes like the pathway to get into university. I know there's a, there's quite a few, um, not quite a few, but there are several opportunities for the Indigenous kids to keep them in school a little bit longer and and especially in West Australia, the, 
the dangling carrot is the uh, is the notion that they get to play football once a week against uh, uh, lads similarly placed lads from another area, and they get driven around as long as they attend school. Yeah, I, yeah, I think they do the same thing in Sherbrooke, something like that. Um, I went up there yeah. one year. That was that was an incredible experience. Tell me about the Deadly Choices Indigenous Health Program. What's that, and and how does it uh, benefit the community? And what's your involvement? Um, I've been an ambassador since 2016, so um, a lot of the things that I try and do is get out to their um, sporting carnivals and stuff like that. And um, sometimes I try and get in and play with them if I can, or I just talk to the kids. Um, it's all about health, you know, trying to get um, mob to quit smoking, stay health, try and keep on the right, right path. Go to the doctors, get checked, because a lot of us, you know, a lot of our mob don't go. You know, oh, who needs yeah. to go to the doctors, you know? Oh, I've got diabetes, you know, so who cares when we want to get out of that um, mind frame and actually, you know, go and get all of these, um, you know, problems if we've got fixed, you know, quit smoking, you know? But, yeah, so that's more of a health-based program but yeah and it also helps like you know it's exercise you know eating healthy exercising you know um, it's all around I think they've they've brought in um, netball and it's around rugby league as well. Well we wish you all the best we wish you uh, the best of luck with the uh, world championships next year and uh, and the Olympics they're only two and a bit years away now aren't they? I know one's just finished and the next one's coming. (laughs) We have our fingers crossed for you and we hope you get there again. Uh, If there's one person in Australia who deserves it, it is you. Thank you. Tarita, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Uh, It has been a a difficult story to listen to on occasions, but so inspirational at other moments. I, I, I cannot thank you enough for joining us tonight. We wish you all the best. If you've been inspired by Tarita's story, you can follow her on social media on Instagram at Tarita underscore Blake. Thanks for sharing your story with us and for encouraging others to find the strength to do the same. If our conversation has raised issues for you, there is help available. You can call the Blue Knot Foundation who support people affected by complex trauma and childhood trauma. They are available on 1300 657 380. Or you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Beyond Blue 1300 22 46 36. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Conversations That Could for Are You OK and you'd like to share it with a friend or access the resources in our show notes, subscribe to the podcast of The Conversations That Could wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Dermot Brereton and we'll be back next week. And remember, when your mate bottles it up, a dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Thanks for listening. 